Um, last week, we talked about a subject that I think um, is one that has maybe been surfacing more and more in our society and is the subject of division. Uh, Kevin mentioned, and I just wanted to recap for a moment because I think it leads into what we're talking about this morning. I just wanted to recap a little bit of what he said. Um, there are these unique times where maybe two people, two groups of people experience the exact same moment and yet come to wildly different conclusions. They see and experience the same thing and yet they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum about their interpretation of that event or their experience or their feeling associated with what it is they saw. And uh, even since Kevin gave that talk, you'll see it again, it's popped up, and not to step on anyone's toes, but even in the last week, the Just Do It campaign, the 30th anniversary of Just Do It, Colin Kaepernick is on the, the ad, and um, it says, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. And what you're noticing in our culture, uh, especially in today, um, there is this energy around seeing or experiencing something and being in polar groups. So there's one group that sees this ad, and what they think is that it stands for conviction and someone who has a voice and resistance and equality and maybe race comes in there at some level. And then they say to themselves, from this moment forward, I will buy only Nike stuff. I love them. They're amazing. Way to take a stand at the exact same time. Exact same experience, exact same ad. You have another group of people saying that this is uh, an issue of cowardice, that it is disrespect, it is a lack of loyalty. It is in some way infringing on religious freedom and, and whatever else this group might be communicating. And so their response is the opposite, so burn any and everything that is Nike and light my shoes on fire and post it on Instagram or something, right? And, and you, what you see is two radically different experiences of the same particular moment in time. And I thought Kevin gave some really wise words. Like, what do you do with that? How do you handle that? And uh, I just want to remind us of those because I think it speaks well into where we're headed. And here's what he communicated, um, that first we have to be a people who are willing, willing to do two things, willing to listen and willing to be wrong. Uh, that we can be the kind of people who are willing to listen, to be wrong, to sit in a space, to hear the opposite opinion, to, to dialogue. And then the second big idea behind that was to look to Jesus. In the midst of whatever it is we're facing, in the midst of whatever disagreement or challenge or division within the community or within society, that we can continually reorient ourselves to Jesus, encouraging people to reorient, encouraging us to get back to what it is he says and the values that are a part of the kingdom. And this week, that has been on my mind quite a bit. And the word that keeps surfacing for me is just the word humility. That I think for us to be a, the kind of people that can live in that space of tension between two opposing ideas, we have to be 
humble. Humble enough to listen. Humble enough to say that we don't have the full picture. Humble enough to say that in the midst of it, that we're completely dependent on Jesus. And so I'd encourage you, if you've been wrestling through that stuff, and as you've been noticing in our culture, these growing tensions of division, that maybe just start with that posture of humility. Just be a people who can listen and walk into these difficult spaces. And I think we'll find in them Jesus, and we find in them community, and we find in them conviction. And so that's my encouragement. And last week, just a little reminder, um, because it leads into the subject we're going to tackle for the next two weeks. We uh, shifted out of the Gospel of John, and we are discussing, as Kevin mentioned, an elephant for the next two weeks. And the elephant we're going to tackle is the elephant of discernment. Elephant of discernment. Uh, and before we talk about this, this was the topic that of all of the topics suggested by small group leaders and leaders in our community, then we as a community took a vote on it, and this scored the second highest of all the subjects. How do we have discernment? What does that mean? What does it look like? Um, and so... Before we jump into it, I just want to pray for a moment and ask the author of wisdom uh, to give us wisdom as we uh, enter into this idea of discernment. Father of wisdom, we ask, you even tell us in the book of James that if we lack wisdom, is an ask of you that you give generously to all without finding fault, that you won't chide us for a lack of knowledge or insight, that you won't look down on us and go, I can't believe that you don't, can't figure it out, but that we just turn to you and simply, again, in humility say, God, I, I need you. I need wisdom. I need insight. I need knowledge. I need an ability to make good decisions and and so, God, we're asking for that now. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we look at this subject. I pray that over these next two weeks, we might be a discerning community in our own lives and uh, collectively, uh, and that you might really speak to us in this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start this morning by just uh, giving us a brief definition of discernment. Uh, if you Google it, this is what comes up. Um, says discernment is a noun meaning one of two things, the ability to judge well or in specifically our context here, perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining spiritual direction and understanding. This idea of discernment is what we're going to tackle for the next two weeks. This week, I want to talk more about individual discernment. How do you know what you're supposed to do? How do you make decisions, and what's the best way to go about that process? And then the next week, I want to talk about more corporate discernment. How do we collectively discern things? Um, and obviously, we have, over the last uh, year, year and a half, discerned some significant things as a community, uh, whether it was moving here, whether it was adding a youth pastor. There's been a process of discernment for many things, but how do we corporately do that, and what does that look like? And so for the next two weeks, that's what we're going to look at. Today is going to be all about individual discernment, and what people generally mean when they say, I need discernment, is what they're really looking for is an answer. 
And what they're really looking for is an answer to a particular question. And nine times out of ten, the particular question that they're looking to answer is always the same one. And it goes something along these lines. How do I know God's will? Right? Have we heard that before? If you've grown up in the church in any level, you've probably heard that statement. How do I know God's will? How do I discern it? Figure it out. Find it. And it's... How do I know it for my life? How do I know it for the decision I'm about to make? How do I know it for any, like, struggle I'm going through? How do I know if I'm doing the right thing? It all really is the same kind of question. How do I know God's will, or how do I discern for myself what is the step that I should take? Now, I will say right off the bat that uh, there's not a chance I'm going to solve that age-old question in this moment, okay? positive. So don't, don't leave here disappointed that I didn't, okay? Just simply uh, understand that I put that disclaimer out. I want to give another disclaimer too. Uh, everything that I'm going to suggest this morning related to kind of being a person of discernment uh, presupposes something. And what it presupposes is that you are the kind of individual who is currently listening to the Spirit, seeking to be thoughtful, discerning, that you are the kind of person that's praying, that you're reading scripture, that you're, um, as the scriptures say, seeking first the kingdom of God and all these other things, even the will of God will be included in that, right? If we put our priority on the thing that matters most, then a lot of the other things work themselves out. So that's the disclaimer right off the, f- at the beginning. I'm not going to solve it, and it does presuppose that you individually are the kind of person seeking first the kingdom and being thoughtful and inquisitive and that in the midst of that you will find what we're looking for. So most of you probably have a particular way in which or a particular lens through which you look at what it means to understand the will of God. Uh, Growing up, I probably had two primary kind of views of the will of God Uh, that I'll explain in a moment, and then my understanding has shifted over time. So I used to understand the will of God more like uh, shoots and ladders, the game, or more like Frogger. These are two games that uh, I'll explain here in a moment. But shoots and ladders, if any of you have played that with your uh, little child or maybe as a child growing up, it is this uh, age-old game that uh, everybody loves. You flip over cards. They either have numbers or they have colors, depending on your version. Uh, you move to the next color representing the color that you turned over, or you move to the next number. And uh, I kind of viewed the will of God like this, that if I turned over the right card, if I made the right decision, then I would hit that ladder that would let me shoot up two, three, four rows or whatever. I'm walking on easy street. God seems to be blessing my steps. Things are progressing well. If I make the right decision, all will go well, right? However, if I turn the wrong card, if I make the wrong decision in life, if I somehow just step outside of God's not just intended will, but his like perfect, exact, so finely detailed will that if I step out in some small way, that it's as if I turned over the wrong card, which takes me to the chute, which then takes me, you know, to destruction, essentially. Like, 
I lose. My daughter's just crushing me in the game because I turned over the wrong card. And I hate to lose. You know that about me, right? So it, I felt like it shoots in ladders. You make the right one, you're just like, God's good graces are coming. If you pick the wrong one, then uh, everybody is passing you on the pot to the gold at the end of the game or whatever it is, right? Or I viewed it like Frogger. I don't know if you've played Frogger, the video game before. Some of you in the room have absolutely no context for this game. Now, this is when video games like took up a corner of the room, not just a part of your pocket, right? Th this was like the good old video system that you would uh, plug in 25, 50 cents to and you would play. And the object of the game, for those of you not fully aware, is you get the frog from one end up to the lily pads because everybody knows frogs love to live on lily pads. And you got to get in into each of the lily pads, but you got to navigate the complexities of life for the frog. So you got to get across the busy uh, five, six lane highway. I guess it's part of I-5 or something. And you, you've got to not get hit by cars along the way. Then you get to uh, the stream or the Spokane River or whatever with logs and animals floating by. And if you can navigate that, then you can get to the lily pad and all is well. And then you take your next turn. And I kind of viewed, again, the will of God a bit like this, that if you take the right step, you execute it correctly, then you're going to make it. You're going to figure it out. Or you're going to arrive and all will be well. But if, again, you misjudge your jump, splat. Like it's over, done for, bad news, game over more 50 cents, right? So that's kind of the way I always viewed the will of God. But now I view it a little bit more like a playground, okay? Uh, so if anyone ever asks you, hey, how do you understand the will of God? You go, oh, it's simple. It's a playground, right? Just say that, and then it'll explain everything. But if it doesn't, and you don't understand what I mean, my attempt over the next few moments is to give a little context to this idea of it being a playground. Now, I am convinced that uh, the will of God is a bit like a typical school playground. And um, I'll give you a few reasons to hopefully understand why I think this word picture uh, can be helpful to me. It, to form a bit of a uh, process or a grid around which we individually can make decisions. The first idea behind it is that boundaries have been established for our safety. There, you go to any school playground, not if you go to like just a playground out in uh, a neighborhood or something, but if you go to a school playground and it's clearly established that there are some boundaries that usually is indicated by a high fence. Uh, but those boundaries are in place for a couple reasons. One, it limits the threats of things coming into the school, which uh, in our context today is, has been and is a growing concern. But it also limits the ability for little ones to escape the school, right? So you can release them to the playground, but then you can also recognize that uh, they're going to be contained in that space, that the boundaries are there for their safety, that uh, obviously we don't want them to wander off. We might lose sight of them for a bit, and this kind of gives some structure to create some boundaries. Now, anytime there's boundaries... Because of our nature, we desire to push against them, 
your desire to like climb the fence, cut a hole in it, dig under it, see if there's like a little latch, an escape route, an exit, some kink in the fence that allows us to try to just do whatever we want to do, right? But again, the boundaries are established really for safety, for freedom, for encouragement. Uh, when Jesus says that I, I lead you, or God says I lead you to quiet waters and still streams and into meadows to rest, his intention is for our good. And so as we think about the playground I, and as we think about the will of God, I think it's important to recognize that some, we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but boundaries have been established and they're clear to provide safety. But playgrounds also come with what I would call certain givens, okay, certain things that are already established. Uh, that don't require a lot of thought. For example, in a typical school playground setting, uh, teachers would prefer you do certain things. They would prefer that you have fun. They would prefer that you play nicely with others. They prefer that you stay inside the fence. These are all preferences. Now, certainly there are times we uh, step outside of those preferences, but the idea is there's some given things that we would like you to experience within this time right? And I would suggest in the same way that God has certain preferences, desires, givens that he would like us to lean into. I'll just name a few. The first one, pretty simple, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength it is a given. That if you want to be in line with what God's will desires, or if you want to be a person of discernment, maybe just start with loving God passionately from your heart your mind, your body, every part of who you are, that if you begin with that, seek first the kingdom, seek first him, the other things come along, right? That's a given. Another given would be love your neighbor as yourself, right? Where this is something that comes up from Leviticus all the way through Romans, that uh, the commandments can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Gospels, it says it this way, that that uh, just the same or equal unto loving God with all your heart would be loving your neighbor as yourself. It is another given within what it means to be a discerning people. I think a third given would be that love fulfills the law. Uh, we're to be the kind of people that are generous with one another. We're to be people who practice hospitality with one another, bear one another's burdens, walk alongside one another, practice gratitude to God and to others, that we embody what it means to be the kind of people who um, are so filled with the Spirit that the very actions we take on are the actions that seem like the Spirit is present. And so these are certain things that I would say are givens. You don't have to ask if they're God's will. You don't have to like... Uh, have a deep debate with someone else on whether any of these things should be uh, accomplished or how do you just know. You know you're living into the will of God if you embody these things. If you pursue them, uh, there, there doesn't have to be any uh, lack of clarity. You just simply understand they're givens. I think a third idea at the playground is that you're supposed to follow your passions. Follow your passions. Uh, the text tells us to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What we have
kind of twisted that to mean is that if you love God, then he'll just give you whatever it is you ask for. But obviously what that's communicating is not that. It's communicating this idea that if you actually pursue God, if you delight yourself in him, that he then places within you the very desires of your heart. He has shaped you. He's given you life experiences that ignite in you these passions, these interests, these ideas that he wants you to live out and exemplify to other people. So it's as if he's placing these very desires within you in such a way that you can embody them. He's gifted you. He's given you interests and passions. And not all of us have been created the same. We could go around the room and it would be easy to tell the difference between what it is you're passionate about and what someone else is passionate about. It'd be clear what someone is very gifted in and what someone else is not gifted in. In fact, I often marvel at people's gifts because they're so wildly different than mine. And I'm amazed that God would create someone with that set of gifts, right? Because we realize we've all been shaped differently. I would, to stretch the metaphor to the playground a little bit, I would suggest that some of us are going to like the swings way more than something else. And another person's going to be all about the teeter-totter. Maybe somebody is all into the merry-go-round, and then they invite their friend over, and then their friend takes a couple whirls, gets off, falls down, throws up. Because, you know, merry-go-rounds for that person, not cool, right? And so you have these ways that you've been shaped and created, and God is saying, hey, part of my will, part of discerning what it means to be who you are in this context is to live into what you're passionate about. Chase after it. Have fun with it. I mean, so often we, we get our mind bent out of shape because we're trying to figure out, how do I fit in a box that I'm not intended to fit in? How do I do the thing that I don't really have a heart for? Some of you have expressed to me before, like, a frustration, like, man, I, w I wish I could serve in kids, but I don't even like kids. Guess what? Don't serve in kids, right? We don't want you there. We want someone who just absolutely loves it when they're with kids. And it's like, it's just a joy, and you can see it overflow from who they are. And at the same time, that person might hate sitting down with someone else for coffee to discuss something. And you could do that, like, all day. Because we've each been shaped in unique ways. And what I would encourage you to do is live into that freedom. Know who you are and live it out. And just like on a playground, it's not like that when the, with the teacher, when you get sent out, that you're assigned to certain parts. It's like, go. The space is yours. Run. Have fun. Roam. Figure it out. Go try something. Like, it, it's, it's beautiful, right? Because we have this ability to discern that God has created these spaces for us to live in and to figure out who we are and how he uniquely created us. The fourth thing that helps me to understand discernment in this playground picture is that if you're unsure about something, try it. Just try it. Just go for it, right? Um, w I think in our context, especially within the Christian context, there is this certain level of anxiety that we have that can be paralyzing for people when it comes to the will of God. It's kind of the, the Frogger thing. If I if I don't time this just right, that truck is coming and it's going to be bad news, right? 
and we're crippled by it. Some of us are crippled by the fear of picking the wrong thing. As if there's only two options, and if I get the wrong one, we're in trouble. Some of us fear pleasing people. So we don't make the decision that we want to make, or maybe even feel like we should make. We make the decisions that are like, be best with everyone else. It might not even be the thing that God is calling me into, but I don't really want to ruffle feathers. And so I just decide to do something. Others of us are paralyzed because we put way too much pressure on our decisions as if they will define the rest of our lives. It's like college students declaring the major when they're freshmen and going, what will happen if I don't get it right? You'll switch. You've done it a hundred times before, it's okay, right? But we, we feel this like anxiety about something that we don't have to. Or we make decisions by like waiting for a sign from God. And so like everything starts to be analyzed. Like, well, that person likes it too, so maybe I should like it. Or, ooh, I don't really feel good about that. And is it because I ate Doritos or is it because I, I like, I don't, right? Like we overanalyze every single part of it. And we get ourselves worked up. And what I want to suggest is when you go out into the playground, like, Try it. Experiment. Right? Go up to the slide. The tall one. If you don't like heights, then realize you don't want to go down the slide. Great. Go to the swings then. Right? It's okay. Just go for it. Learn. Try things out. Experiment. Right? If, uh, if you go to the jungle gym... And it's crowded. Maybe go somewhere else. We try to make it like it's some big deal. Augustine said this, Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The idea is if your deepest desire is to love and to follow the will of God, it's not like he's up there just trying to trick you into picking something that's not going to go well, right? Just at that point, playground's yours. Go and figure it out. You have freedom. He's given you a good mind. He's put you in good experiences. He's, he's walked alongside of you for most of your life, some of you, or for others of you, just this last year, but he's, he's been walking with you the whole time. You're just not consciously aware of it. And so if he cares about you more than anyone else in the world, why would he just let you make a poor choice? So in the midst of it, love God and do as you please or do as you will. Fifth, playgrounds are always best with friends. All right? Playgrounds are always best with friends. Here's what I mean by that. Include others. Include them in your decision making. Right? I, I would suggest that all of the best decisions that are made are decisions that are made with friends. Right? Invite people to weigh in on things you're doing. Now, all throughout the scriptures, you see this wisdom, specifically in Proverbs, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in the abundance of counselors or friends, there is safety. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, 
He breaks out against all sound judgment, meaning that's not a sound way to walk through life. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The idea all throughout Proverbs and, and really throughout the wisdom literature is this understanding that, like, don't, don't make a decision on your own. Why would you? Like, let other people weigh in. Let them think about it. Let them encourage you in it. Uh, I would suggest that God distributes his wisdom to his people through his people. So certainly he demonstrates or passes on wisdom through his word. He passes on wisdom through prayer. But I also would say that he distributes his wisdom to his people through his people. That means your small group. That means your friends. That means your accountability partner. That means coworkers. That means uh, your family. That means people you're with. He speaks to us through one another, and that is one of his greatest gifts. So I encourage you, practice communal discernment. Now, some of you might be thinking, I, n- I have never done that before. I don't know where to start. What would I invite people into? I've never asked for communal discernment. I'm going to suggest that you do it all the time. You're just not aware of it. Like, for example, I consistently ask my wife every time I do a wedding, does this tie match with this shirt? Communal discernment. Do these jeans make my butt look big? Communal discernment. (laughs) Even wiser if you don't answer that, right? Um, Do I have anything in my teeth? Communal discernment. Where do you want to go for dinner? Communal discernment. What are you interested in? What movie would you like to go? That's all communal discernment. You just maybe don't practice it with things that you would consider as important enough to matter, right? So here's my radical proposal for us in kind of wrapping up. Radical proposal I would like to suggest is that you include others in as many decisions as possible. As many decisions as possible. doesn't matter if it's work, career, if it's moving, if it's switching houses, if it's life, if it's church, if it's remaining single or dating or marrying or money or anything. Include people. Right? Like, what would it hurt? Why not? I have been on a process probably over the last um, nine, ten years of my life to give as way as many of my decisions as possible or to include into my decisions as many people as possible. And I find that, like, my ability to discern what it is that God wants me to do increases a thousandfold. I just include people in the decision, no matter how small. Now, I might not include them in, like, hey, should I buy this pack of gum on the way out of Walmart or something, right? Generally, just don't. But if, if uh, I, I don't, right? But I do in just about any other decision I can think of, right? I have told people this for a while. Maybe you've heard me say it before. I never take a speaking engagement outside of new community that I don't run it through a group of people who decide whether or not I take it or not. There's not a ministry trip, conference, uh, event, anything that I am asked to go to or want to go to that isn't run through a group of people who make the decision. In fact, I was asked to go to London this summer for a thing with Christian Associates 
all, essentially all expenses paid, ran it through a group of people, they concluded no. So I didn't go. Never once regretted it, right? Because it wasn't just my decision, it was a group of people collectively. Now, certainly London w in the summer would have been nice, but, but yeah, it was a collective decision discerning the will of God. It doesn't matter if it's an area of study or schooling choices that I've made or teaching topics, vacations that I've gone on. All of these things are run through people. Spending, how we use our resources. There are multiple people in our community that know exactly how much money my family brings in, where we spend every portion of it. It's theirs to see. There's elders that know everything about my schedule, about my family, about my life, right? Because I just include them in it. Why wouldn't I? Right? I show people budgets. I uh, help them make, uh, make small decisions, large decisions. And um, I'm glad we have two weeks because I've got a ton more to go over this morning even on individual discernment. Shoot, I don't think I have any more. Um, so let me do this. Let me just wrap up by giving you, like, two tips. That way, like, you walk out and go, oh, what am I even supposed to do with that? Well, I'll give you two, and then you can come back next week for the next five or something, okay? Uh, so uh, number one, ask people who've been down the road before. Ask people who've experienced it. Uh, if you have, are on the cusp of a decision you don't know what to do, just find someone who's already done it. I mean, we've done that every single stage of our kids. It's like, we had one, now what, right? And then it's like, okay, we learned to change their diaper, now what, right? And you just, the whole way. They're going off to high school, now what? Their first year of college, now what, right? The whole way. Just keep asking. I haven't been down that road. How foolish is it of me to just assume I know what I'm going to do and what's going to be best for my kids without walking alongside of people who've been there before? So just ask someone who's been there. Number two, invite those that know you. So family, friends, your small group. Don't just walk up to a stranger and be like, hey, I was thinking pizza or, or whatever. This, what, do you, what do you suggest? That's not maybe the best communal discernment. But find somebody that actually knows you. Like, well. Because then they can weigh in and say, the decision you're about to make is a good one based on your personality. Or that might not work well for you because of your background. Or I know that you went through a similar experience two years ago. Can you lean on that knowledge for this decision? So find, find someone that actually knows you. 